What's up, everybody? You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Sam Graham Felsen. I'm Avi Klein. I'm a novelist. Avi's a therapist. And we're here to answer your questions each week and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. Our guest this week is Nick Novak. Um, I was very excited to have Nick on this week. Um, as some of you know, I'm mildly obsessed with CrossFit. Uh, and Nick uh, has been a trained CrossFit teacher. He now specializes um, in Olympic lifts which uh, he will describe to you uh, in this podcast. They are complicated, almost yoga-like weightlifting moves. Um, and we talked to him about why strength training for him is more than just about getting big muscles, but is more, it, but is a, a way of life and, and a, um, a tool for building resilience and how he built a, a philosophy of life around uh, fitness. Enjoy. One of my close friends uh, had been nagging me for years to do CrossFit and, of course, uh, I was uh, hesitant for the stereotypical reasons. Yes, which, which are, is why everyone. Yeah, what are the stereotypical? That you'll get hurt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just right. that, number one, that you'll get hurt. Number two, I think, is that everyone there would be like super ripped, and I would feel like incredibly self-conscious. Uh-huh. Not to cast aspersions on the people at my gym, but <laughs> not the case. <laughs> that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it's actually it's it's interesting. There's like. Um, I would say equally 50-50 split women, mm-hmm. 50-50 like older people and younger people, mm-hmm. like it's just all different types. Mm-hmm. And um you know, there there are like one or there's like one guy who looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones, but uh <laughs> most people look like normal people. Right. And um anyway, I've I've been surprised at how opposite the culture of CrossFit is from what I was expecting, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it varies from gym to gym, but yes. at least that at least at my quote unquote box, that's what we call uh, CrossFit gyms in in the inside. <laughs> at my box, um, it's uh, it's just like a totally non competitive, um, just friendly and supportive, and kind of happy vibe. It's not like this Spartan grueling military thing that like right. people are afraid of. So, do you agree with those stereotypes of CrossFit, or are there other ones? Um, yeah, I I absolutely agree with the stereotypes of CrossFit, and I think it's really interesting that you said that at your box, like the community that you've found is not matching those stereotypes. Whereas I think there are other people who will get into CrossFit for those reasons. They want to be around these like, you know, Adonis, you know, figures. And uh, you can absolutely find communities like that as well. It's like every gym is very different. And I I tell people, if you're going to try it out, like just try and find something that like vibes with you, that you feel like you get along with, even if it's not the closest one to you. Like, yes, that's where everyone goes first. But like, experiment a little bit because once you find the the group you know that you feel like you're a part of then it works a lot better the whole process works better can you uh can we back up a little bit and mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit because i was going to ask how did you get into crossfit but maybe mm-hmm. even like before that like what's what, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit so um i don't teach crossfit classes in my day-to-day mm-hmm. i actually teach olympic weightlifting mostly which is just one component of crossfit and that's one of the uh, higher skill components like the gymnastics stuff and the weightlifting stuff are considered the most technical. Uh, so I work with CrossFitters a lot, but a lot of times I'm trying to uh, break the habits that they get from CrossFit of rushing too much, not thinking about what they're doing, not being like present, here's what you're doing right now, and just kind of going through the motions of things and that sort of stuff. Um, but the way I got into it was when I was was teaching myself out of a book how to learn Olympic weightlifting, which is a terrible way to learn how to do it, by the way. Yeah. Um, but 
Which book you know, was it? Was it, it the Ripple? It is not the Ripito book. Okay. No, it was an excellent book by Greg Everett, uh, Olympic weightlifting for athletes and coaches. He's a really engaging and fun writer, and he did, you know, a good job. I managed to, you know, teach myself pretty well, having no direct feedback. Um, but I was teaching myself that out of a book, working at like a New York sports club. And how, there was, how old are you at this point? Uh, like early twenties, like hmm. probably. You know, I was not super. You know, I've always been active, but I would not consider myself to be the most athletic person but i think also you know my father was uh, on a u.s olympic team like so i'm comparing myself to high level athletes right, but yeah. anyway um so yeah i was in my early 20s at this time i'd finished college just started um living in new york and another trainer who was there saw me and started talking to me which is unheard of at a at a box gym like an equinox in new york sports club you don't make eye contact you right. don't talk to each other <laughs> Uh, and he came up and started chatting with me about the lifts. And he was a coach at a CrossFit gym, which is probably why he felt comfortable like walking up and approaching someone, because that's how people are, you know, in the CrossFit community. They're very outgoing and welcoming to new people. And it's really cool, refreshing. And so he said, hey, I'm teaching a class on Saturdays. Would you like to come out and help me and get some practice coaching other people that will help you, right? A teacher, you teach someone else and you actually become a better student. So I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and went and did that with him for a few weeks and was shocked the first time I walked into the gym and someone walked right up to me and introduced themselves. And I was, you know, kind of taken aback, but I, I really fell in love with it. And within a year, I told my partner, like, I want to quit my job and be a weightlifting coach full time. <laughs> what was your uh, job? So I was working for as a consultant for the DNC, mm -hmm. um, working on like, uh, Democratic primaries in New York City and the surrounding counties, which was fun, you know, um, but it didn't, it didn't let me make a direct impact, like a, a tangible impact on people's lives. Like I knew I was helping the people I'm getting elected and theoretically the people who are voting for them, um, not to go too much down that, uh, but it just wasn't, it wasn't giving me the, you know, the tangible delivery that I really wanted. So I was looking for something else, but that, in my opinion, was similar. And that, it turns out, is teaching weightlifting. Um, you studied philosophy mm -hmm. in college. Mm -hmm. um, was there a part of you that was worried that, like, you know, as someone who's, like, probably sees yourself as a pretty intellectually uh, serious person, mm -hmm. that um, people would think you were a meathead or something if you went into fitness um, professionally? Uh, or were you yeah. worried that you might be a meathead if, yourself if you did that? You know? Well, you know, I, if, if I wasn't worried myself about being a meathead, like, yeah, that sounds cool. You know, I'll be a meathead. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely was concerned, you know, like even, even to this day, when you go to like a college reunion or something like that, and people are like, what are you up to? And, you know, I, I always tell myself, like, I'm going to say like, I'm a teacher because I really do consider myself a teacher. But I always, when they ask me, I just kind of look at the ground, like oh, I work in a gym and really like undersell mm -hmm. what I do, even though I feel that it's very important and impactful. So yeah, I, I absolutely feel this, like that it feels weird, um, you know, to be so physical when I consider myself an intellectual, but that's the beauty of the Olympic lifts is that I get to really talk about people about emotional performance and like really technical things. We're talking about balance and timing and coordination. And it's not the same as like three, two, one, go, you know, start the workout and just kind of let things happen. So for people who don't know about Olympic lifts, mm -hmm. um, this is probably the most intimidating part of CrossFit for most newbies. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the the snatch in particular is this really complicated thing. You should just look it up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it actually looks sort of simple, maybe, but it's it's yeah. hard when you're starting out to yeah. do it to do it right. Sure, and um, and uh, and it's funny because I I used to loathe uh, snatch days and just kind of want to skip on those days, and now mm-hmm. those are the days that I'm most excited for because it does okay. feel like um, feels like maybe I don't I, I don't do yoga. We've actually talked about why we don't do yoga on this show before, but mm-hmm. feels kind of closer to something like yoga where you're really thinking through. Um, all of these different uh, muscles in your body and how they're interacting mm-hmm. and achieving a kind of balance. Do you see it kind of like yoga? Oh, or Absolutely. Uh, the, what I liken it to more often than yoga, I, I do see that parallel. What I liken it to more often is golf. That seems to really resonate with people, like the golf swing, kind of infinitely refinable, almost zen, or a dance in ballet. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a lot about coordination and timing and rhythm. And so when I get someone who comes into my class and they tell me they were a dancer before. I'm like, oh, great. This is going to be fun and easy. (laughs) By the way, there's a great video um, of Nick uh, training Odell Beckham's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, cousin uh, in snatching. um, If if, if you want to check that out. Um, He's pretty good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And just to clarify this, this, so there are two lifts that we're talking about here, two Olympic lifts. One is called the snatch. The other is called the clean and jerk. It's a two part clean and jerk. The objective of both of them is to get something from the floor to over your head in one like very fast, sharp movement. If it's like hitching or pressing or something, then it would not be considered a good lift. So it's very explosive. It is independently contested in the Olympics as its own sport. And then it's used a lot by track and field, volleyball, football, those kinds of strength and conditioning programs to develop strength and speed. The benefit is to is this combination of strength and speed. Yes, yeah. exactly. Versus like a a deadlift or a bench press, which is very you know strong but much slower. So my struggle with CrossFit, which I have some experience with, and really have, I really just have time to go for runs right now. But like, um, found myself more comfortable with powerlifting mm-hmm. um, because. I don't, one, I think I have a sort of lazy disposition when it comes to this stuff. Like, I just kind of want to settle into something. Even when I run, I mean, sometimes I'll push myself, but like, I I, I can't access like explosivity that mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. is one. And two, like, I don't, I'm not that coordinated. And that was really like the quickness of the movement was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't think that was, it was too frustrating to like, master yeah yeah um, yeah i'm curious about your thoughts about that i would challenge you that you're not that coordinated uh-huh. if you can teach yourself to walk you can <laughs> learn how to snatch like it's a that is a much more i just watched motion. my daughter teach herself how to walk it is pretty amazing it's amazing do right? that. Yeah. yeah so snatching at the end of the day like it's there's definitely a learning curve but i truly believe that anyone can do it yeah. that's that is part of my philosophy i do agree with you at that like settling into like a nice rhythm. There are certain people that I've met that just that is their personality type. That's what they want to do in the gym. I think that's fantastic. And I'm like, good, then do, you know, do what feels right to you. Like if that's I mean, what like, you like, go like for it. Like a squat, what's the difference? I'm just trying to like, I don't think I can articulate exactly. Like mm-hmm. squatting, actually, that was always my favorite because mm-hmm. I think my legs are, are stronger. Mm-hmm. And so it was less hard. And like you have to be explosive, like you, I mean, yeah. it's not just like lazing around. Like you go down, you got to go back up. Mm-hmm. But that felt so different. For, maybe it's just the my. It's just harder for me. Like I think it's pacing. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to pacing. Like if you're 
if I was saying like you do 50 squats and you have three minutes, whatever, yeah, you know, something like God, that, then it's that. right. But if I tell you like, here are your sets, your yeah, reps, your yeah. weight, you know, trying to get this done in the next 20 minutes, like yeah. you can take your, your time with it. Um, and that's what's different about my classes from a normal CrossFit class right. is we are slowing way down and looking at what you're doing and not just kind of trying to get the work done as quickly as possible, which yeah. has a value, but... Yeah, yeah, it's a similar vibe at, at my gym. Um, they're they're really um, like I, I have a friend who goes to a, a box in South Carolina, and I see mm. what his wads. That's a workout of the day. <laughs> that's more CrossFit terminology. I'll try to steer clear of that stuff. Um, but his stuff, like the stuff they do, is like I don't know, often like five times more <laughs> than what we're doing mm -hmm. um, on an average day. Mm -hmm. But but I actually like the fact that they're so focused on getting the movement right rather than, you know, being a hero and, you know, yes, loading good. a ton on or doing. And I, I will say just getting back to um, what you said about if you can learn how to walk, you can do this other stuff. Um, I, I always consider myself a uh, uh, poorly coordinated person uh, and, you know, never thought I could run fast. Like I always thought of myself as slow. I always thought of myself as uncoordinated um, and I always thought of like certain muscles that I had would always be weak, like my shoulders or whatever. Mm. And I think what's, what's been really cool about CrossFit for me <clears throat> and what's made it more than just some meathead thing, but actually like, like an important, um, a really important piece of my life now is that I have actually learned how to snatch. I have learned how to do an overhead squat, which I never thought I could do. That's when you have to basically push your arms up into the sky with the bar and then squat, which, which is tough. <laughs> yes. And it, and I thought I would never be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And I even learned recently how to do a muscle up. I was like, Oh, nice. I, I wrote an essay about, um, uh, this for the New York times, um, a couple of years ago that I used to not be able to do a single pull up. Mm -hmm. And I was like terrified of pull ups because I thought I could never, ever do one. And now I could do a muscle up, which is basically a pull up, a super pull up where you, end up pushing yourself above the bar. So anyway, all of that stuff is, uh, is not to, to humble brag, but, but to just say that, um, maybe it's a little bit to humble brag, but it's to say that, um, what's, what's so cool is that CrossFit can surprise you. It can like show you that like, you know, um, you're actually capable of doing a lot more physically than you thought you were. And like, maybe you're not as awkward as you thought you were. Maybe you're not as uncoordinated as you thought you Maybe you're not even as slow as you thought you were. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I can run fast. I could never, I will always last in, in races my whole life. And now mm -hmm. I can run fast. It's, 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 it's exciting. You're reminding me. So I have three, three daughters and, um, you're reminding me about how much some of this is like, just a lot of the way I think about myself as like a quote unquote athlete is, is rooted in, in my growing up and being an unathletic kid. And, I was at the pool with my oldest daughter and I remember like my lack of upper body strength, being able to pull myself out of like onto the dock or whatever, like in the lake, like my total inability to do that. And my wife and I were joking about how we'd have to like roll up onto the thing. <laughs> and then I watched my daughter struggle with the same thing. Mm -hmm. Then the younger one is like, she could do it like easily. She, mm -hmm. she just like naturally has that upper body strength. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the humiliation that you just feel at your own inability to do something and what a deterrent that is from ever wanting to try it again yeah. instead of mastering it. Yeah. Like that, that has stayed with me my whole life, you know? 
I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's, thank you. You're the, in the therapist's <laughs> chair, so I get to... Un- <laughs> um, but that's that's like what I love about the work that I do every day is that I can make, I can show someone like you are, you do not have to be defined by these, you know, ideas yeah. that you create for yourself, even as an adult, even as an adult. The oldest person that I've trained was 75 years old. He's 74. He's turning, he turned 75 while I was training with him. He had boxed and that's it. He had never lifted a weight. He had certainly not been like jumping around or doing Olympic lifts. And he would say this, he's like, I'm so uncoordinated. I feel like a tiny person inside my head trying to drive my own body. That was Mm. his Hmm. image, which I loved. Um, And to get him to be able to do things, even at, you know, at that point in his life, he had plenty of history to draw from to say, I can't, but to get him to do it and then to just be able to experience that change that a person that comes over a person like, I am addicted to. I mean, you, you're a therapist. Yeah. You must have similar sensations. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, when you get to see something that's innate, like that innate human drive to, I don't know. I think of it as resilience. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other words, but like to go beyond what you thought you had. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why people come into therapy in the first place is because as much pain they're in, there's also something else there. Yeah. 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 Speaking of resilience, um, Another aspect of CrossFit beyond these complicated Olympic lifts that does intimidate people who know a little bit about it is um, the Metcon or the metabolic conditioning, which which usually happens in the second half. I think of you class. low key love the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Uh, uh, and well, actually, on that note, I mean, part of what is fun about CrossFit is that, it, I mean, cult is too strong of a word, but it, it's a it has a community element to it part of a community is having shared language, like having shared inside jokes, having shared, you know, catchphrases or whatever. That's, that's part of what makes, you know, and that was the exact stuff that I used to roll my eyes at when my friends who did CrossFit, um, did, you know, would, would use those terms. And now I'm like using them without irony. Um, but, but, uh, but, but the, the metabolic conditioning part is really just like, like if you've ever seen on a, you know, TV comedy, like somebody doing CrossFit, usually they'll show something like the metabolic conditioning, which is like, you know, doing, you know, 75 burpees and, you know, 50, uh, uh, wall balls, you know, in five minutes or, you know, or something much more brutal than that. And they're designed, they're designed to kind of like totally deplete you and exhaust Mm -hmm. you. And by the end, um, if you've, if you've done your job, usually you're writhing around on the floor (laughs) by the end. And, um, and, and I used to detest that stuff and now, and it's weird. Like I, I, I now look forward to it as like a test of resilience. Like I'm like, if I can get through this one, you know, even though I know it's going to suck, I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to suck going, going in, but if I can get through this one, like it, it, I don't know, like I've just like notched another notch in my resilience, yeah. you know, um, tree or whatever, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, I, I wonder like how much, how much do you think that idea of like deliberate suffering, you know, deliberately doing painful stuff mm-hmm. plays into what CrossFit's all about or what you, what you care about as a teacher? Yeah, I, I, I think that that is almost the, like, that's the secret. Like that's where the magic happens, right? Whether it's, learning a new skill, lifting a heavier weight, or pushing beyond the point where you start to say, no more, I can't do any more. 
And what you get to find every time is that you can do more, right? These like limits are fake or they're easily broken. And then, you know, what my hope always is as a teacher is that the the person takes that into their daily lives with them. So I had a woman tell me once that we'd been training together for about a year and she came in one day and she was like almost in tears, but happy. And she said, I asked for a raise yesterday for the first time in my career, you know, for the first time in my life. And she said, and it's because of our work together. Like every, every chance that you get to do something you didn't think you can do starts building up your confidence and your ability to say like, maybe I can, yes, I can. And then they just start cascading and you're doing things that you never thought you could. It's like, it's practice. The gym is practice for, you know, being that person in life. And if you, you know, more important or I don't know, but in other ways, in other ways. Yeah. I wanted to, you mentioned earlier just in passing that your dad was an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, can we back up for a second? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what did, what did he, uh, what team was he on? Uh, he was a Greco-Roman wrestler. So that's wrestling that there are no legs involved. You're never like in the down position. You can't grab legs. You can't touch legs. So it's all upper body. It's all grabbing and throwing. And it's the same as the name suggests is the same type of wrestling that the Greeks and the Romans did. So super old school, really fun. The most points are if you can grab your opponent and make kind of a rainbow out of their legs. Mm-hmm. If you grab them and throw them you know, <laughs> up in the air, that's what you get the most points for. So um, what what was that? Was it was it um, cool sl- or was it intimidating to have a dad who was not only an Olympian but like you know a uh, a tough guy Olympian who could and, you know and toss a, people through the air and a United States Marine at the same time. So like oh, okay. not just like an athlete, but like a military athlete at the same time. So like. Yes, I think it was a little bit, you know, I don't want to say intimidating is the word, but especially not when I'm sitting across from a therapist, <laughs> right? But um, but he was pretty, it sounds like on paper at least, he was like the Ur-Man. He was like military, right, right, rest, right, right, Greco-Roman right. wrestler, yes, Olympian. Yes, yes. And uh, so, right, but that was, you know, it was good because then you could see, it's not enough to like hear about focus and discipline and applying yourself and all these things but to really see it and to see how someone wraps their entire life in these things was I think like a a very a gift that I got um as a child so I wasn't really into wrestling very much you know of course like I learned as much as I could and I participated in it for a long time but at the end of the day I never really feel very competitive against other people Mm -hmm. I had almost no desire to like beat my opponent I always was much more drawn to things where I was competing with myself. And so when I found weightlifting, like, oh my God, this is perfect because it's really, it's just me and this inanimate object. Um, so th- that just vi- vibed much better for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way in terms of having difficulty with competitiveness with other people and preferring mm-hmm. to compete against myself. But wh- just out of curiosity, why do you think, why do you think that is f- for you that you like weren't into competing against other people? That's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I never really got like the satisfaction out of it. Like it didn't, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive person. And like, if I beat someone else, you know, I remember being a kid and like beating other people and then they're like crying and I'm like, I don't, you know, ugh, like, I don't want to make this guy cry. It's not worth it. It's not fun. Um, yeah, it just it's just not where like it came from. And it might have also had to do with like 
again, like military is, uh, you know, being in a military family, living on military bases is a lot about uh, the greater good. You know, like you are, you're following the rules, not because they're the rules, but because that's how you take care of the other people around you. And even little things like crossing the street, I rode my bike here. So I'm like very in a like crossing the street type of mentality. Like you wouldn't jaywalk on a military base one because you'd probably get in a lot of trouble. They're pretty strict, but like if you jaywalk, this messes up this car, the flow of traffic slows down, you create risk, like all this kind of stuff. That's always about you, the individual doing your part. And I think that that was impressed on me pretty strongly. And that's why I'm much more interested in challenging myself in ways that I can compete with myself to be, you know, a quote unquote better, you know, person than engaging with someone else. It's not enough to beat someone else. You have to beat yourself if you want to really, truly improve. I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch, but. No, that makes sense to me. Um, did you go into the military or you? No, my parents told me very clearly, do not go into the military. Oh, really? They said, you don't have the, the mind for it. You oh. don't take orders very well. <laughs> you, that doesn't work. So I'm, they were clear about that. <laughs> I've, I have just sort of a broad question. We've only just met, you know, half an hour ago, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you seem like a pretty chill or just grounded, centered guy. I'm wondering, were you always, if A, would you consider yourself to be centered and grounded um, or not? But but if you do consider yourself to be, were you always like this or were you like more kind of anxious or frazzled when you were younger? I'm just curious. So imagine this, right? You're, um, you're going to your first day of first grade, right? You know, you're very starting school. You have young children, right? Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you're nervous because you don't know the teachers, like you don't know the people in your class, you don't know anything like that. And on top of it, you've actually never even been in the town that you're going to school in before. So you have like, you, you definitely aren't going to have any friends when you go in there. And you might not even know like the cultural references that people have because you didn't grow up in that town and then repeat that again in second grade and third grade Uh, and like all the way through high school so your options are learn how to interact with a wide variety of people or not right or just like be a loner and through different stages you know between the end beginning of school and the end of high school I, I went through both of I tried on both of those mm. options um but you just learn out of necessity like people are not that different at the end of the day you know what'd you learn uh, like <laughs> like people are all kind of the same in that like I don't th- I I don't think anyone's like really actively seeks conflict and like even those that do like the bullies in school and stuff like that like they're just like scared of something you know like everybody else and so if you just try to like always put yourself in someone else's shoes why are they acting like everyone is the way they are for a reason right Mm -hmm. that's what i learned and then if i could try to understand the reason not even figure it out just try people like that they love that and then it's very easy to interact with other people. So I learned a lot of socials, like very good, I have very good social skills. I'm not the most social person, but I have the skills. So that's nice. Did you get bullied ever? Oh my, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All the time. And so did you actually, um, I mean, one, I'm curious, did you ever, did you get into physical fights or did you walk away? You did. Yes. Okay. Um, How did those go for you? Not well. Not well. Yeah. Because there's no, I mean, there's no good solution. Like, 
either you get kind of beat up or you like kind of beat someone up and again like feel really bad about it like that's not you know that's not my thing like i don't you know yeah. i don't like that so Do you, i'm curious given that um you are a crossfit coach a power lift an olympic power an olympic lift coach mm-hmm. uh for people who are listening which is everybody because we don't have a video version of this yet <laughs> Uh, Nick Nick has a, a a very thick mustache, kind of like a, a Russian <laughs> Cossack kind of mustache and beard and uh, goatee. Um, so you 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 check all the boxes for uh, masculinity. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> and I'm curious, do you um, does does checking all of those boxes ever make you feel like uh, more comfortable? Um, expressing an interest in stuff that's not hyper-masculine, like... Uh, it has to, Yeah. Right? Has so, to. like, are there examples of stuff where you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool admitting that I like such and such, even though, like, it's considered soft or whatever? So, my hobby outside of the gym is bird watching. I love bird watching. I don't... I hope my landlord's not listening to this, but, like, I have a bird feeder attached to my window, and I get all these birds, and, like, I just love it. I'll sit there and, like, watch them. I have some... Finches right now, some blue jays. I got a cardinal who's like edging around but hasn't come up to the feeder yet. And like to be in New York City and have this life around me is like such a joy. And I I love taking pictures of like flowers and plants. Like I love nature. And, you know, if, if you're on my Instagram, like, you know, I have my account is for business. So it's like weightlifting stuff. And But the stories are for myself. And so it's like my dog, my birds and, you know flowers most of the time and it's like I yes like I feel like if I wasn't if I didn't have the other side of the coin to my life you know I might not be as confident in saying like oh I you know I love this I really love this stuff you know not just like it but but that's my opinion is like that is actually what being a man or like a good man is about at the end of the day like there is a value to being you know, strong and resilient and willful, but there's also a value to, to a value to being nurturing and caring and loving. You know, I feel happiest when I'm taking care mm. of something else, whether that's walking my dog or teaching someone to be strong. Do you do you express those values to your students, or is that like more than they would like me to? <laughs> so they're resistant to it sometimes. They're not resistant to it, but they're like we yeah. Everyone's different. How do you people. like? I'm, what, if I were your student, what would you like? What are the kind of things you say? One of my favorite things to say to someone: We're talking about rhythm, right? I need you to be slow, and then I need you to be fast. And I'm like, like a jellyfish. Think of the way a jellyfish swims: slow, yeah. fast, slow, fast. And some people are like, oh, I love that. And then other people, like especially like more macho guys, are kind of like, okay, you know, like slow, fast. I get it. And like I don't need the I'm not a you know, fucking nature. jellyfish. Yeah, I'm not a jellyfish. <laughs> like, right? You wish you were a jellyfish. They're beautiful. Um, but, but for the but for the most part, you know if people don't really like that approach they just don't work with me and so then yeah. it's very easy for me to kind of you know be myself yeah. so yeah. so when we were corresponding about setting this up and you're like i like to give my i like to make eye contact when i'm giving someone advice yes. and yeah. i really liked that yeah um and uh and we're gonna do it a little bit differently this time because actually we could use some advice <laughs> or more precisely i could so usually we have uh, a listener uh submitted question this week i'm i'm gonna ask the question wow uh so um uh recently i i got some uh 
criticism for talking too much on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in general in my life, I've gotten criticism for talking too much. Um, I'm, I'm also a creative writing teacher and, um, sometimes I'll get feedback on those, you know, student feedback forms being like, this guy talks too much. Mm-hmm. He should STF you more. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, well, someone really write te- that. Isn't a teacher supposed to talk? Right? Uh, isn't that your job? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I I recognize that I that I talk too much, and um, you know, without going into the psychological canyons of why I talk too much, I think it probably has something to do with just anxiety, um, a, a discomfort with silence, and um, and just a feeling that maybe what I'm saying isn't smart enough so I can make it smart by continuing to talk. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But but I do talk too much. So I wanna I wanna talk less and uh and listen more. So um I guess the I guess I'm looking for advice on um you know, you don't seem like you have this this problem, but if you let, let's of say talking too much. <laughs> Can do we, you? Can we, yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. Can we? I think we should work a little bit more on defining the problem better. Like you're right. I mean, yes, you want the solution to be you want to talk less, but it but it did seem to me we so and I could use some advice. I suppose I'm curious. You and I have only texted about this. Basically, what happened was like I think I texted Sam and I was like, "Hey, I've gotten some feedback. Like people are who are listening saying, you know, you're." You're talking. You're starting to talk too much, and we had like touched into it a little bit in like a very gentle way um, before that. And then someone posted a, a review that also said you talk too much, and it was like making them not want to listen anymore. And you had like a really like it really did feel. Well, bad it was the double whammy. They said it was specifically like this, you talk too yes, much, yes, or yes. right? Yeah. Not that you're both talking. No, too just much. me. Me That's in the particular. Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it was nice. the double whammy of getting Avi's text right at the moment that I happened to have seen this comment on the iTunes, on the uh, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and like this dude talks way too fucking much. So like it felt yeah. so that felt really bad for you. So I'm curious about I don't know how to like what I'm interested in for myself is like how can I help you with that. You know, and was I, I don't know if I was helpful in the way I brought it up, but then like you're, I know you want to talk less, but it does seem like, and you're like a pretty committed meditator, but how do you work with this part of you that the anxious part that is driving all of this talking seems like maybe what to hone in on? Mm. I don't know. What do you think so far? Can you help us? Or without even maybe without yeah. right right away jumping into advice. I mean, do you, you said you, that you, you talk too much? Yeah, w- you do think you talk too much? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I, you, I, and do you feel bad about that or not? No, really? no I don't <laughs> okay. feel bad. About that. <laughs> um, I I do feel bad about it sometimes when I'm trying to engage in conversation with someone. Um, I don't want to like, especially in like a situation like this, like I don't want to be like monopolizing, but in my professional life, um, you know, that's what people are paying me for is to like talk to them. And yeah, it could keep things more succinct, but at the end of the day, like you want to be entertained, you want to hear, you know, interesting things and stuff like that. It's like, I don't feel bad about that at all. And I, I mean, I couldn't, shouldn't, I can't say you shouldn't either, but Professionally, I kind of justify. Have you ever had the experience, though? Because I, I think part of the way that we do things here is mm-hmm. it's a, it's almost like simulated friendship. I mean, we're genuinely friends, but it's mm-hmm. like setting a, 
it's three people talking right um and developing uh closeness mm-hmm. right knowledge of each other and i and so i feel like more analogous is like getting coffee with a friend and just like verbally dumping on them right. or having oh, yeah. dinner having wow. like a yeah. dinner party where you're right. the like one that's, talking that's really what we're talking party. about right like right how do you right. train yourself out of that or how um, do you work with that well i like to practice facilitating conversation um so i had a birthday party recently so my birthday um and i invited a wide spectrum of different people and some of them are you know very outgoing and some of them are more shy you know the, the weirdos, right? <laughs> but, which is not true. Everyone's, they're fine. Um, but when you know, you know, if you notice that like someone in a per- group of three, it's, I think a little more difficult, but like, you know, if you are aware enough because of your meditation to know that you talk too much, like I, I like to deliberately draw someone else out. Like, what do you think about that? Like, you mm-hmm. know, and just try to like facilitate the conversation back into that person. And then I, you know, I'm only talking as like a bridge to like get them interacting, you know, like channeling your, your talkativeness right. towards, towards, them towards someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to make this person be the talkative one today. And then just keeping your mouth shut. even though you want to jump in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I struggle with, um, definitely on this podcast, but also let's say at a, at a dinner party, um, with, with smart, interesting people is, um, we're having a conversation, someone else is talking and I think of something that I think would be interesting. And then I have this terror that if I don't say it quickly, I'll forget it. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, George Pitagorsky, the meditation teacher we had on would be like, well, what would be such a big deal if you forgot it? Right. <laughs> you know, in fact, in fact, I've asked him about like, sometimes I'll have what I think is like a brilliant thought while I'm meditating mm-hmm. And I'm like, can I, is it okay if I get up from the meditation and write it down? Cause I don't want to forget that shit. And then he's like, I mean, he's like, it's okay. But like, what if you just, you know, trusted that if it was such a great thing, you might remember it. He is, he is such a non-attached <laughs> guy. When we were even emailing, I've made some mistakes on that podcast. And I was like, oh man, George, I'm sorry. Can I fix it? And he's like, well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like he just didn't <laughs> right. care about anything. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I mean, what would be the track? First of all, a, I could probably trust myself to remember something. Yeah. Um, if, and, and, and if I didn't remember it, what would be the tragedy of letting someone else get the chance to say something interesting right. instead of me getting the chance? Uh, when I was working for the DNC, one of the, you know, we did a lot of canvassing training and one of the things that, they taught us about was check-in questions like do not say more than two or three sentences to someone and really like one without checking in even something as simple as like does that make sense or like do you agree that like this this and this and then like actually waiting to hear their answer i find that helps me a lot um when i'm interacting with other people and like give them a chance to talk and give me a chance to give myself a break and try you know listening instead of talking. Yeah. That's, that's, Does that make that's sense? That's a good tip, actually. Do you think, am I onto something in terms of like, you're not really listening or like not necessarily paying attention to how it's being received? I think, um, I think to the most honest way I can put this is that I'm either like hyper listening or not really listening. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, I'm a good listener. Yeah. Um, uh, and then sometimes I'm not, and I, I I can kind of fluctuate in and out. Like you're always a good listener. 
Um, you know, I mean, that's why they pay you the big bucks. <laughs> I do think, I mean, I like to be a good listener. I know I'm not always even, I, I hope my, my people aren't listening to this, but sometimes even in, in sessions with folks and it's my own, you know, that's what they call counter-transference in part, but like that's my own, my own stuff is coming up that makes it hard to listen. Oh, wow. Um, you know, cause yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a person. Right. Um, so like somebody oh, you don't said, really think of that. Yeah. I've yeah. never really thought of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, yeah. the therapists? They, right. Like what you're saying could be reminding them of you know, things in their own life. Yeah, I actually, wow. this, pretty recently, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's actually a big part of being a therapist is learning yourself in that way and learning how to work with yourself. But pretty recently, um, I met, I started working with someone and they brought up things that had an uncanny resemblance to struggles I've had. Mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, there's, there's similarities and, but this was like, Oh wow. Like this is so reminding me of, of stuff that I went through. And it was for a moment, so like so dysregulating to me that I was like, not in the room. I was like sort of back in the past. Right. And then I had, and I was like, Oh, okay. And you know, and kind of got back on track. Have you ever messed up in a moment like that? And, um, just started talking about your own because because I mean my experience um, is that therapists like never really talk about like themselves like I they always put, put push it back to the patient. What I've kind of learned is um, well, and there was also like part of so part of the information that I was getting was like this you know it was reminding me of things that were upsetting, but also I was kind of tuning out because the way they were presenting it was making me tune out. Like it was kind of like what, what we're talking about. Like there was so much, it was Mm -hmm. like, it was like being like knocked back by their, their distress. Mm -hmm. It was hard to like, I wanted to leave the room. Yeah. I mean, and so I did. (laughs) Um, but, but then, you know, obviously you got to come back and help them regulate themselves so that they can, they can connect. Um, if that makes sense. I was kind of wondering, um, because it, you know, yes. Well, I don't, I never feel bored on this show though. Yeah. I definitely feel bored at dinner parties. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we totally do. But you, you know, it really seemed this particular problem in our, on our show really seemed to like get kicked up a notch like in August. And I was wondering if you think there was something else going on that was like sort of like a source of distress for you that you were showing up in a more if yeah uh, yeah i'm sure yeah august was a shitty month yeah, for sure uh, for sure i can't say more because <laughs> it involves people who will who will uh probably get annoyed at me if i tattle using real names but yes it was it was a stressful month um i'm sure that was part of it mm-hmm. um now i'm actually self-conscious that that we're going to be boring our our guest by uh being too inside baseball about our own uh dynamic of me talking too much on the show but when when you uh tend to talk a lot like is it because you have like a a point that you want to prove or is it just because like you know your insight is so great like people need to hear this um sometimes both i mean sometimes one sometimes the other yeah i think uh no i i look definitely um and again, I'm already feeling self-conscious that I'm like making this the me show. Um, no, I think we're, but, but it is the me, I guess this is the me show because <laughs> yeah. it's my question. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely I've 
struggled throughout my life of wanting to be liked. I uh-huh. mean, that's just, I, and, and, um, you know, and to give myself some credit, I'm pretty confident that I'm a, a likable guy. Like, you know, most people like me. Yeah. That dick who left the comment didn't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, pal. I still want you to like me, please. Uh, no, but, but you know, some people don't, but, but, but a decent number of people like me. I've always had lots of friends and never struggled socially. And, um, and, um, but, but, uh, but definitely I think part of why I'm, likable is because i want to be liked Mm -hmm. so i cultivate the qualities that are likable you Mm -hmm. know and uh i think if i was like more comfortable not really giving a shit about what other people thought about me i might be less likable because i would just um or maybe that's actually a dumb way of putting it i would be less i might be less like charismatic in certain ways like i I might be quieter i might like not feel a need to fill up a room like i definitely put pressure on myself to be like an entertainer like a guy who could tell funny jokes and funny stories and like i definitely feel pressure and and actually like um i've talked about this in the past on the podcast but like i used to have i wouldn't say it was a drinking problem but i would i drank to the point where i realized i needed to cool cool down a little bit and anytime there was like a dinner party type thing i would always always make sure to drink like a good amount Mm -hmm. and i think the reason why is because I always feel like, oh, those are situations where I really need to be on and really need to be performing. So, like, I got to really loosen up for the big show. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. So, I, I, you know, and and I think, so I think, you know, almost every time we have an advice question, we end up reaching the conclusion that, like, it all boils down to, like, being more comfortable with yourself and just <laughs> accepting yourself and letting go. And I think that's probably the case. Like, I think if I if I was less concerned with wanting to be well liked, I would feel less need to perform um, and less need to fill up the room. And I could just focus more on what other people are saying and drawing them out rather than feeling the need to like be the center of, you know, the, the center ring in the circus. Well, what do you, I'm, I'm always so pleased when we have like a random question and it turns out to be a good one for our guest. And since I've learned that you're pretty good at connecting with people, do you think, I mean, okay, that's one idea is mm-hmm. you could um, you could care less about being liked. Easier uh, said than done. Very much easier said than done. I, I'm just, is that is that what drives your capacity to connect or is that... What, if, to, yeah. what if you used your uh, ego to your advantage? Like it, it would take some self-awareness, right? But you don't, uh, you know, someone doesn't have to be like the the most talkative person in the room to be the most intriguing. Like you want people to like you, but what if instead of playing like, you know, the like outgoing boisterous guy, you played like the mysterious stranger and only said a few things and like tried to really rope people in with as few words, like just a, a look and a twirl of the mustache. You, know? <laughs> you do um, need a sweet mustache. Yeah, that, that helps. That yeah. helps. Um, and, and the same thing if you're, I love debating. I love debating. Um, but I, you know, it gets sometimes it can get too personal and charged and it kind of takes the fun out of it if like people's feelings are actually getting hurt um and so when i when i think when i tend to talk too much especially when i'm arguing with someone and so i try and remind myself always of the elenchus of like asking questions of people and trying to get them to arrive at the conclusion that i want them to arrive at themselves without me having to do it 
right? Say and the like, word again. Alenkis. That's Socrates, yes. right? Yeah, it's okay. like his like he you would say your idea and then he would ask you a series of questions because he was much smarter than everyone else. And then he could get them to arrive at his conclusion or disprove their own theory. Right. So if you could say like, uh, in this situation, I want to prove my point. How can I get there without telling them? I want them to get there themselves. Sounds I mean, these like are a lot strategies. of work. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you, if you want to, you know, work on something and change yeah. something about yeah. yourself, and then you got to put in work. Put in the work. Yeah. yeah. I would actually love to be the quiet, mysterious guy. Um, it's funny. I have a friend who is very well liked. Um, because everyone thinks he's like the sweetest guy. I think in part because he's very soft spoken and, you know, really only speaks when he really, really has something to say. And, you know, often just takes a back seat and lets other people have the floor. And he's very, very well liked. And he was expressing to me and some other friends that he feels really bad about himself for being such an introvert and mm. wishes he could be more extroverted. And I was saying to him, like, man, I want to be like you. Like, I wish I could be like, like, I think it's so much cooler to be an introvert. Like, extra, I think of extroverts as so lame in some respects. Like, <laughs> like, come on. Like, you really need to share all this shit? Like, introverts are like, just these, like, 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 actually... I don't. I, I keep bringing back George Pitagorsky. He's actually very relevant to this conversation. He's my meditation teacher, mm -hmm. so I I learned a lot from him. And you know, he he always says like, wouldn't like the ultimately Zen person just basically say nothing? Mm -hmm. They would just be like so chill that they wouldn't really even need to use words. And you know, I would love to be the kind of writer who could write like a novel, you know, that's two pages long as opposed to <laughs> you know hundreds of pages long. But I'm bringing this up because I want to turn the tables on you, Ali. Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> you so so so. Wait, part I, I'm, of what I'm not making this. excuses. Yeah, but part I'm of not making excuses. But definitely early yeah. on on the show, you didn't talk very much, mm -hmm. and I felt like a pressure to fill like, like for example, when we had a guest and there was a moment of silence. Yeah. Like I always like I would look at you and then I'd be like, I don't know if he has a question yet, but this this could get awkward if I don't fill it quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I would just talk, and yeah. and I think I felt a pressure because you're such a like good listener and such such a, a giving person in terms of you know letting other people go that I felt like extra pressure to be the talker. I'm curious, do you you have talked more on the show as the show's gone on? Yeah, but do you as a good listener, as a as a more soft spoken um, guy? Wish you were more of a blabber, or do you like being a, a more soft spoken guy? Um. I don't think necessarily just like blabbing per se. <laughs> Maybe not blabber. <laughs> I, yeah. I I do. I mean, things I admire about you are you're a very good um, storyteller and you're very astute in your observations. And those are traits that I wish I had more of. Um, I don't know. There's something I have like a self-censoring quality to myself where I, I just sort of I'm like, oh, is that really something I need to say or do I need to say more of that? And probably the only times, like I was saying before, where more comes out are when I'm anxious and then it's almost like I can't censor myself. It's the opposite. Too much comes out. So uh, you, so sometimes you don't talk for fear of I'm critical stupid. of myself. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I, I think it's stupid. Um, I'm not sure really what I, what I have to say. And I'm, a, I'm maybe like a beat slower. I am. I'm just a little bit more laconic, I guess. <laughs> and so like, you know, if you paused, I think I probably would have a question, you know, things come to me, but like, I just, it's not, I'm not so, the words aren't always so uh, 
on the tip of my tongue. Um, Nick, with your partner, if you feel comfortable talking about it, do, mm-hmm. do, do, does is she talkative um, also, or is she more of a listener? She is super introverted. Okay. Um, and which is actually something that like we work on all the time and, you know, just like has opened up a little bit more. But when I first met, she would probably disagree, but I'm right. When I first <laughs> met her, she was very, super, super shy, super shy. Um, and, you know, we've been together for 13 years since we were kids. We were wow. 18 years old. So we've been together for a long time. Um, is that math right? And anyway. Um, 20. But it's not 20 years. Okay. So maybe I was like 19. I don't know. Um but what were you saying? Yeah, so she will often, you know, she we talk a lot. We talk about everything. You guys know what it's like, right? And it's like, ask me for advice all the time, especially about interpersonal relationships and like, you know, work stuff because I'm you know, kind of good at that. Um, and that's that has been like a great opportunity for me to practice like really listening and connecting to the person and then like understanding what she is saying and then what the person that she's talking about might be thinking or feeling in this situation as well. So does that answer your question? Yeah. I I mean, I was wondering if it ever, if, if being talkative ever caused problems in, in, uh, in your relationship, it definitely causes problems in mine, but I think part of it is because my wife isn't, is a real extrovert too. Mm -hmm. And she also really likes to talk, although she is a better listener than me. And, um, she has a pretty high bar if she doesn't mind me speaking about it, but she has a high bar for like what it means for someone to be connected. Yeah. So if she feels like you're just talking to talk, uh, like she's going to get pissed about that. Yes. Yes. Sometimes (laughs) I get, I get grief about that. She's one of my oldest friends. So I know her well. (laughs) Well, I'm, this is sort of, I think this is a related skill. I'm curious, like, like you were talking about like the bros who don't want to be jellyfish, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a skill in learning, like how do you reach different people, right? And like different people need different energy. I have that with some of my different people I work with. Like there are some people, patients of mine where I have to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk mm-hmm. and I have to almost like fill it in. It sounds like maybe a little bit like what you're talking about with your partner, yeah. like, you have to almost narrate what's going on because mm-hmm. they're using like five words and like really it's like a hundred word description. Yeah. Um, and that that's hard for me to do, but I've kind of cultivated that like to be a different type of person that they need me to be. How have you cultivated it? I think being really clear, that's a great question because that's what we're trying to get at. I'm really clear, first of all, like what do they need? Uh-huh. And, and I think about almost like in an energy sense, like they need a lot of description. They need the type of person who can explain it to them, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. they need to hear, like I'm thinking about, like the type of person I'm thinking of as a therapy client is in the room with me, we're working with very young parts of themselves. And so it's like the younger parts have less words the way like a young child, like they just can't describe it as well the way Mm -hmm. an adult would. So it's like, I think of myself as like the adult, the parent explaining everything that they maybe can't explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just experience that as energetic, um, like a loving energy that they need, whereas someone else might need like a more receptive mm-hmm. um, type of space. So what I, do you do with this? Oh, go ahead. Nick. I, I also experience it as an energetic thing. Um, and something that that I 
I'll be very, I'll be clear with myself about what this, you know, what this person needs. Like the first time you meet someone, you don't really know. Yeah. But once you've been working with someone for a little while, like I'll look at my calendar in the morning and say like, I'm going to meet with this person at this time. Mm-hmm. And I know they need this kind of person. They, and so like acknowledging like this one needs a listener. This one needs a talker. Yeah. This one needs a listener. I don't, that like helps me, yeah, me too. Know, be, be the person that they want to. And then I'll take on people who are, you know, a challenge to me, someone who, you know, who wants to talk over me all the time and doesn't want to listen and stuff like that. And I'll say like, all right, this hour of your week is dedicated to becoming a better teacher for this kind of, or just becoming a better teacher by working with this kind of person. Mm -hmm, Like the mm -hmm. work, the, your work is work. Like it's all, you know, it's all contributes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with a super blabbermouth client? With a super blabbermouth, that's a really good question because that plays into um, some of my other weaknesses of, of like it could make me more introverted and almost shy. So usually like the first time I meet them, I say something like, listen, I have to get this out of the way, but I interrupt a lot and I feel really bad about it. But um, I just want you to know I'm going to interrupt you all mm-hmm. the time and you might get pissed about me. And so can we talk about that first? And then I've given myself permission to interrupt them as much as, as is needed. And then I can just cut them off and and point out to them, your talking is getting in the way. Does okay. anyone ever get um, irritated by being interrupted? Like someone, there was something happening today with someone where like, um, I just kept asking for more. I guess it's different from being interrupted. I think once once I've cleared that up, they're like pretty good with it. And yeah. maybe they might be frustrated, but not at me. They're just like, okay, I know I have to stop talking, but like, uh. Yeah, um, yeah today I kept asking for more from someone because I wanted them to really pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I wa- so I wanted them to use more words to describe their experience. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't give me more and they were like what what more do you want from me mm-hmm. so i mean people of course get annoyed at me in therapy but yeah so all right that brings up um one more question i want to ask you and then we should we should probably wrap things totally. up um so um with l- let's say one of your um blabbermouth client none of yeah. your clients are all of your clients are wonderful people i shouldn't yeah. label them as blabbermouths some are one chatty of your, one of your chattier clients um, like is going particularly on. what we're talking about, right? Is someone who wants to talk at the expense of really paying attention to their inner experience, right? At least in their hour uh, with me, it's like they're making small talk w- instead of being contemplative. Mm-hmm. It's like often what it is, mm-hmm. right? So, um, I guess this is. I mean, what I was going to ask is like, right? What is the what is the kind of talk that you would just cut somebody off and be like? No, we're not. We're not. We're not doing that. I it's mean, true. You could like. There's probably like a taxonomy of right. different types of over talking, and there's like the small talk, which I'm kind of like, look, we're ten minutes into this. Yeah. It, like, right. how do you want to use the time? Yeah. Um, what about like repetitively, like just complaining about your boss or something like that? Would that be something you're like, all right, we've heard this a thousand times. You're repeating well, yourself. Well, because what would start to happen is like, as I would ask them to really notice you know, what's, what's going on as you're talking about this. And if they can't, then one, it would tell me they weren't really taking me in. Like they're not listening to me. They're mm-hmm. not taking themselves in either. And so I would, then I would just be pretty explicit about that. Right. You know? So they'd be like, like an example might be like them wanting to finish telling you the exact thing that their boss said rather than 
how they felt about what their boss said, right? Something like that. Yeah. Where they were like focused on the details. People's capacity to yeah. ignore me is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess I guess I'm asking because I think I think um, I mean, look, I'll, I'll I'll give myself some self advice since theoretically yeah. we're we're advice givers too. I mean, I think um, obviously just just relaxing, letting go. I, I'm going to use Nick's um, sort of little ego trick of getting an ego boost out of being the guy who draws people out and asks questions and sort of the 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 more quiet, uh, uh, you know, strong, silent type. I think I can get some ego um, rush out of that. And you know, I I need to I need to be better at um, just letting go of myself and focusing on the other people in the room and just, you know, being more engaged in what they're saying and, and not worrying so much about what I'm saying. Yeah. But when I do talk, I think, um, I think that, you know, be useful to bring mindfulness to, um, when am I telling a story in which I'm really contributing something, you know, meaningful, you know, hopefully on a deeper level, like an emotional level to the conversation because if I'm doing that and, you know, if the story takes five minutes, but it's a really powerful story, I think it's fine to share it, right? Yeah, I um, like your stories. But if it's if it's just kind of like, oh, here here's like a, a funny little cheap laugh, you know, um, that I want to get just because I want the ego boost of like you guys laughing at something that I said, but I'm really not bringing anything deeper to the table. Like I think just being aware of like, when am I talking to just get the quick ego rush? And when am I talking because I genuinely want to share something that was meaningful to me and connect to other people. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I mean, I think that's good advice. I'm thinking, I was thinking a little bit more about like, how did I, how did I start to do this? And I'm looking, so on my, where Nick is sitting, I have like my little coffee table where I keep my drinks and I have a feather on it. And the feather is from a meeting I had with, with a man I work with, who's like a, a mentor and a supervisor to me. And I had, I had really struggled with certain aspects of being a therapist and questioning my own worth. And it was just like a, I had a really, a really emotional session with him about my own self doubts, and and came to a good place with it. And um, I sort of like took this feather as like a reminder of that session. Mm -hmm. So I always keep it next to me, just because like in my shakier moments, I can look at it and remember him and remember how good I felt afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm really into like objects yeah. mm -hmm. and, um, sometimes I'll write like one phrase of like a thing I want to do and put it on the, on the same coffee table so that I can just like, that's, that's my thing for today. Yeah. The thing is every session I'm going to say this phrase cause it's the skill I want to hone. Mm -hmm. Um, that helps me so much like, because what would be intimidating for me in your shoes is like. I have to change my whole approach to this. Like it's huge. And to just do one thing um, and focus on that for a while is so much more helpful. I uh, love that. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's such a great, that's uh, very similar to what I'm working on with myself right now is being aware of how I feel while I'm interacting with another person, right? Like being aware of your feelings, sitting alone in a room is like not that bad. Walking down the street, not that bad. But while I'm doing my job specifically, right, to also be able to stay that step away and observe and make sure that I'm holding to the intention that I set for the day or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I hear it. How it's, have you been doing yeah, it? What? It's so hard. Yeah. It is so hard, especially to pay attention to the emotional state, which at least for myself, my 
emotional state and what I'm actually doing are not always like they don't make sense, mm -hmm. right? Like I am feeling having emotional responses, I guess, to stimulus without even really realizing it. And like I'll be excited at times when I don't need to be or angry at times when I don't need to be. And you don't even I, for me, like, I don't even really realize that that's happening because I'm not paying attention. I'm paying such close attention to another person that I'm like neglecting what's going on mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. is like to try and observe that as Oh my gosh, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. but it's like it's fun. It's worth it. You know? <laughs> but like that's it. You know, you 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 pick a. Here's what I want to work on today, or yeah. here's what I want to work on for this hour, and you do it. You yeah. like do the work, even if it's hard. The um, you know, it's it's so true that it's, it's it's one thing to um, you know, be mindful when you're by yourself, you know, to not get pissed off when, you know, somebody cuts you off or whatever. Even that's or hard for me. Or shoots a Nerf gun uh, at your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, 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 I mean, it's a million times more difficult when you're interacting with another human being, mm -hmm. you know, who's full of just complexity and there's so many more variables. And, um, and one, one interesting bit of advice I got, um, it was at the end of a meditation retreat that I went on. It was like a, a, a week-long retreat. And um, the teacher said, you know, you're, you've probably reached like a peaceful place, but you're about to go into the real battlefield, which is being back with other people. You've chosen not to be monks. Monks don't have to deal with people. Mm -hmm. They're just chilling in their caves silently, but you're, you've chosen to be lay people. So you're going back into the world. Um, you know, and um, she gave one specific piece of advice on like how to stay mindful in interpersonal interactions, which is like, if you're having a conversation that you know is going to be difficult for you. Let's say you have to call your mom if you have a difficult mom. Um, make yourself a cup of tea or coffee and just hold it in your hands and feel the warmth in your hands. Mm -hmm. And just just anytime you feel yourself like starting to get angry or losing it or whatever, come back to that warm cup in your hands. So that's, mm -hmm. that's another kind of object yeah. trick. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, actually. Um, I have this like... Uh, sort of like squeeze ball it's like a rubber egg yeah. <laughs> that that helps you with um grip strength mm -hmm. and um and and i i guess like i don't i didn't really plan it but um i i happen to have it in my pocket and in the, in the beginning of the conversation i was like i'm gonna take this this uh squeeze ball out and just have it in my hand because i'm gonna try to talk a little bit less on this <laughs> podcast and maybe this can help, you know, just having this object can help remind me, you know, to stay in my body and not yeah. just get lost in my head. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll have to go look at the uh, transcript to see yeah. how many minutes <laughs> I fucking count. talked on yeah. this one. But anyway, um, so I, Nick, I use a similar thing yeah. in my, with my students as well, because people are with me for one hour, right? And I need them to focus on what we're focusing on for an hour, not work, relationships, chores, like all this stuff. Uh, which is like impossible to do. My gym is in Manhattan. Like these are midtown Manhattan. Like these are people that have a lot of pressure on them day to day. Um, barbells have a smooth part and a rough part. And so I can, you can see it in someone's eyes when they are drifting and like not there. You can see it in the way that they're moving. And so I tell my students all the time, Feel the smooth, feel the rough. Mm. Like when your head starts going towards whatever, just feel the smooth, feel the rough. It's the barbell. This is what you're doing. Give me one second, and then you can go back to thinking about emails or whatever. I like the tactile stuff. I yeah. think it's really, it makes sense. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so 
Uh, usually when we wrap things up, we ask our guests if they have a piece of advice mm -hmm. that they've been given or they've gleaned over the years that still resonates with them. Mm -hmm. Wondering if you have I, any for us. I do. Um, so one, uh, one is from a, a very close friend. Um, and it sounds very macho, but he said to me one day, he just looked me dead in the eye, he said, Nick, don't be a wimp. And, you know, in, in the immediate moment, what he was talking about, it's like, try harder to, you know, make this lift. But I found that to be such a great piece of advice for a lot of my life. Like when I'm scared to do something, don't choose to let the fear decide, like decide to do what you want to do. And then every time, whether it's a hard conversation with a partner or, you know, for me, it's mostly like conflict, bad conversations with people where I kind of want to chicken out, just remind myself, don't be a wimp. And then I also get to think of every time that I chose not to be a wimp, you know, not to let fear decide for me. And it's like, I don't know, it's like very invigorating for me. So I don't know if that one only works because I have the history to draw from, but like, don't be a wimp, like you can do it. Um, if I can give one other one, yeah. just because I feel like it kind of applies to what, what we've been talking about a little bit here. Uh, I think it was Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he used gendered pronouns, but I'll say one will never complain of a lack of time who wastes none. Like don't, don't waste. It's all, you, we only have like so much. If you use all the time, like it's actually, you can do it. All right, everyone. That's it for our show this week. If you have a question, you can send to that. If you have a question, you can send it to us at amanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call. Leave a voicemail at 917-426-4326. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at heymanpod. And if you have a second, leave us a review, please. Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Podcasts. We love them. Thanks. <laughs>